Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It podcast. I am your host, Apostle Rosemary of RCN Ministries and OSGA Apostolic Network, along with my wonderful husband, Apostle Herbie. On today, we're going to be looking at the third part um, of our series on restoration. Today, we're going to be looking at the aspect of spiritual restoration, but also the simple fact that we need to understand this, this that the restoration is a process that is a messy process. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be a beautiful process. And so many times we need to understand that restoration is messy. We're going to look at four different stages of restoration. The first stage of restoration deals with the gutting process. So when we look at the gutting process in the natural, we can think of a um, a house, a building, or we can even think of um, when you're killing, when a fish has died and you're having to gut the fish. Um, so that is a part of the process we're going to deal with, the messy part, the dirty part on today. We're going to deal with the four stages on restoration, but it's coming from an aspect and we're going to use some analogies to 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 paint a broader picture to help a lot of people to just be able to um, really understand and comprehend um, the simple fact that restoration is a messy process, okay? So we may, um, we're going to just dive right into it, okay? So the first thing we need to know about restoration is that when we go into a process of restoration, it is to get rid of something that needs to go something um, that's become obsolete, something that's worn, something that needs to be replaced, needs to be upgraded. This is a reason that we go in and we begin the gutting process or the demolishing process. So another word for that, as we begin to say, not just the demolishing part of it, but just the the gutting process. And when you begin to gut anything, um, you begin to... um, rip things out. You begin to rip and tear things out. You begin to remove things. And this is a process in this experience. It is never going to be easy. Um, It's never going to, as I've said previously, it's not going to be a beautiful process. It's going to be a messy process. So when you look at this and you think about a fish, you catch the fish. And then when it's time to um, take the scales off the fish, and then you have to um, you have to open the fish. Then you begin to gut the fish. Um, every you can't eat the fish. The fish cannot be eaten until it's cleaned. So the first part of restoration is the cleaning process. That's where the gutting comes in. That's where you literally have to remove the scales from the fish. You have to cut the belly of the fish open, and you have to begin to remove the guts, uh, the messy parts. Why do you have to do that? Because you cannot fry the fish just the way it is. You can't fry it with all of the scales. You can't it's it's you can't fry it without cleaning all of the guts and the internal organs out. So when we begin to look at the first stage of restoration, the Lord has to literally gut us. Um, he has to fillet us open. He has to open us up and he has to begin to dig out all of the wickedness, the evil, the hurt. Um, the root of bitterness, all of the things we've held on to. And then this part of it 
is where we can look at it in the spiritual aspect and say that the gutting part of restoration, this means to have the circumcised heart because God cannot use us without first giving us a new heart. And when we begin to look at the, the gutting process and, and having a circumcised heart from the Lord, it is to cut away anything that's not like God. We look at Joel chapter 2 and verse 12 through 13 in the NLT translation, and it says, we're dealing with a call to repentance. So first of all, we've got to allow ourselves to get to a place in our lives that we understand that we can't do it by ourselves. We're going to need God to do it for us. And so when we get to this place in our lives, we realize that, you know what, I can't make it without God and there's no use in me trying to. I'm going to have to repent and get it right with God because I can't go any further. Verse 12 says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your heart's Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. My God. 13 says, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and, and filled with unfailing love. We need to understand something, people of God. When we turn back to God, God is looking for us to repent, to get it right, um, to cry out to him, to really get to a place in him where we humble ourselves and where we begin to look inwardly and say, okay, God, I can't do this without you. When we talk about tearing, the tearing of your heart, rending your heart, that's the circumcision. That's the getting all the, the things out that God cannot use. He cannot use you with uncircumcised hearts. Another scriptures here we're going to read is Romans chapter 2, verse 25 to 29. And it is also the NLT translation. And Apostle Herbie's going to pick it up for us here. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you <clears throat> obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than, than an uncircumcised Gentile. 26a, and if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keeps God's law will condemn you Jews who are, un, who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. 28 says, For you are not a true Jew, just because you weren't born of Jew parents or because you have gone through the, the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, Rather, it is a charge of heart, a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person who, a person with a change, change heart, seek praise from God, not from people. So we need to understand something. The Lord is saying here in Romans chapter two, verse twenty-five to twenty-nine, that the Jewish ceremony of circumcision was only of value 
if the Jewish people also obeyed the laws of God and that an uncircumcised Gentile um, which obeyed the law would God declare them to be his own people? So we need to understand something just because someone looks like um, they're a child of God or they've, they've become circumcised is what he's saying back then, that if they don't keep the law, the whole law, then what is it for? They've just had a circumcision ceremony, but they really haven't come into the fullness of who God is through obedience and obeying his word, his will and his laws. And then he talks about the changed heart, um, the change heart, which is a circumcised heart, the unchanged heart, which is an uncircumcised heart. So when the heart is changed, it is circumcised. When the heart is unchanged, it is uncircumcised. Then we look at the second part of this, the planning part. Once we begin to see the structural integrity of a building, um, of a thing, then we can begin planning our how everything, you know, kind of drawing up a blueprint and, and how we want everything to go. Because why? Because we've demolished, we've gutted this building. So now it's time for us to begin to build it up by looking at what's left over, what what is still standing in that structure. What is it that's still usable in that structure? So God is looking to you all and he's looking to all of us really. And he's saying, what is it? that you still possess, that I still can yet use. I've already gutted everything out. I've given you a new heart. I've already given you that. I've given you that hunger, that desire um, to, to just seek after me and my will for your life. But I need to look at, I need to look at the structures, the jaws of this building. And I need to begin to say, what is it that Rosemary has? What is it that Apostle Herbie has that I can still use? Is there anything here while I'm drawing up this blueprint and I'm planning and I'm plotting out how this new building is going to look? Is there anything in them that's still usable for the master? My God. When we look at Jeremiah 29 and 11, it reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So we're looking at the blessings, we're looking at hope, and we're looking at promises in Jeremiah 29 and 11. And then we look at in Proverbs 16 and 9, it says, In their hearts, humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. We're looking at the part of that this scripture goes for marriage. It goes for the dependence um, of man on God. And when we look at the marriage, it doesn't have to be husband to wife. But if we be the if he be the bridegroom and we are the bride, the church, then we are married to him. We've come into covenant with him. We've come into covenant. We've come into a marriage with the bridegroom. My God. Then we look at Psalms chapter 20 and verse 4, and it says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We're dealing with the blessings and we're dealing with the heart there. Go ahead. Here. Plans, plans, fail. Mm -hmm. plans fail for lack of counsel, but, uh, but with many ad adversary advisors, they succeed in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22. And that's dealing with speaking? And that's dealing with speaking. Okay, you got it. Um, 
many are many are the plans in in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs nineteen and twenty one deal with understanding and dependence. Then we begin to look at the laying of the foundation, the third part of this. Before we can build, we have to start adding to a house. The word of God lets us know that we must first build a strong foundation so that the building is stable. It is fixed. It is fit. It is fitted. Um, we, meet, we need to understand that in order to truly lay a godly foundation, we've got to set into, into place first, firstly and fitly the chief cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. Before we pour the foundations of the apostle and the prophet, according to Exodus 2 and 20, it's in the word. If we tell you it's in the word, praise God. So when we're dealing with laying the foundations, we look at Ephesians 1 and 4, and it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Isaiah 58 and 12 says, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of the streets to dwell in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now we look at Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and 4, and it tells us about the that the, before the foundations of the world, um, that that we should be holy and blameless before him. In Isaiah 58 and 12, it tells us about, um, he's going to, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and we shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of the streets to dwell in. And 1 Corinthians 3 and 10 and also 11, he begins to tell us, the word of God begins to tell us here about the foundations, how they are to be laid. And the fact that he had already laid the foundations and another is building upon it. But we need to be mindful. Let each one take care how he builds upon the foundations of God. Verse 11 tells us, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid already, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Then we look at the beautification. Finally, this is the complete structure. This complete structure will have a solid, strong foundation. Um, no longer will we have rickety rag, raggedy buildings. No longer will we have buildings when the wind comes or when a storm arises that it blows down. It makes me think of a um, of something that we used to read about as children. And it talked about the three little pigs. And the one pig went and built the house out of straw. And the storm came, the wind came and it blew it down. The next one built his house out of wood and it came, the wind came again, the storm and it blew it down. But the third pig built his house out of stone. It was brick. And when the storm came and the winds blew, 
his, his, his foundation was solid. His house was solid and it did not blow down. It was not pulled apart. It was not broken. The Lord God fills us with his joy. He fills us with his hope. He fills us with his expectations. Once God restores us, he makes us whole. Uh, he makes us complete and he beautifies us. He restores my soul. Restoration is not a very easy process. Restoration can be a messy process. So we then begin to look at Psalms 149 and 4. And it says, for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The Lord will beautify us. The meek, those that are meek will be beautified with salvation. And then in Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3, we look at the exaltation of the afflicted. And it reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from con confinement and con condemnation mm -hmm. to the physical and spiritual captivity and freedom to prisoners, to, mm -hmm. the, to proclaim the favorable years of the Lord and the day and the day of vengeance and retribution of our God to con to confront all who mourn. Three to grant to grant to those who mourn in Zion the following to give them a turban instead of dust on the on the on the heads a sign of mourning, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment expressive of praise instead of a, a disheartened spirit. So they will be called the trees of righteousness, strong and magnifiance, distinguished for integrity, justice, and right standing with God, the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. Let us look at scriptures for restoration. Um, that we may be restored to his image. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. Then we begin to understand that the word restore appears 136 times in the Bible. Um, it is very consistent theme in both the Old and the New Testaments, anywhere from Genesis to Revelations. And we also begin to look at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which defines restoration as a bringing back to a former position or condition. Uh, we need to be brought back as a people of God to a former position or a condition within the body of God, the body of Christ. We look at the four R's of restoration, which are to replace, to renew, to revive, and to return. To replace, um, God replaces our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, according to Ezekiel 36 and 26. When we look at the word renew, um, by focusing on the Bible, our minds can be continually renewed, according to Romans 12 and 2. When the Lord revives us 
through the resurrection of Jesus, we are given new everlasting lives according to Romans 6 and 4. When we think about return, to return to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are returned with God according to Romans 5 and 10. Restoration happens. Can restoration happen overnight? Um, despite how many times people want to think that many times God does things and it can happen. It can happen in a twinkling of an eye, but some people get discouraged and they get frustrated and they want to throw up their hands and throw in the towel um, because they became anxious. They, there's an urgency to be rescued, rescued um, for the restoration, but it's a process. The renewing of individuals, um, God has to renew our hearts and our minds, um, our turning away from the sins that we have um, found ourselves in and returning back to God. Restoration, God restores marriages. He restores broken families. He restores physical bodies. Um, and it is a continual process. We have to pray and seek an intimate relationship with God. We have to surround ourselves with other that are Christ-like minded, that are Christ-like and, and Christ-minded. We have to encourage ourselves along the path and along the process of restoration. When we begin to think about some other scriptures um, on restorations, we think about Jeremiah 30 and 17. And it reads, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called you an outcast Zion for whom no one cares. And Psalms 51 and 12, it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. First Peter 5 and 10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining Apostle Herbie and myself on today. Um, as we went through this message on today on spiritual restoration, that spiritual restoration is a messy process. Um, and we just pray that you all will be blessed this morning on the podcast. And once again, I am Apostle Rosemary of Let's Talk About It podcast of RCN Ministries and OSGA Apostolic Network, along with my wonderful husband, Apostle Herbie. God bless you. God keep you. May you all have a great day. And we pray that you all will begin to just listen to this message and just what the word of God has been spoken and released here on our podcast on today and begin to allow it to just digest in your spirit, man. God bless you and God keep you. Have a great rest of your day.